0: Steps up. On the field stands, touchdown.
1: This is the post week eight episode of the High Motor Podcast. Andrew Dowdy and Chase Kitty here talking college football every single episode of the High Motor Podcast. We had an almost full slate of games in week eight. Looking ahead, we have an almost full slate of games coming in week nine. A lot to react to, a lot to discuss, maybe a little bit to yell about. You, sir, are having a tough Sunday after your Saturday. Do If I come over, could you give me a ride somewhere?
0: Yeah, uh, so fuck you. I so worth- so if you <laughs> needed
1: to, so if you needed to run an errand today, would you be able to, to to do that errand with a car or or could you drive me somewhere later? You know, or is your car totaled and then so you don't you don't have the car?
0: My car was an innocent bystander yesterday, just minding its own business, parked on the street, and some guy just had to get to Carrytown. 20 seconds faster, just plows into my car, parked up, flipped his car. I got photos on my Instagram because I I, I just had to put them up. Yeah, it, it was pretty wild. It was a flipped car on the middle of Main Street in Richmond. And then my car is just the innocent bystander. And then, I, you know, not a great, pretty solid gambling fall for me. So I, I was kind of waiting for that first bad day to happen because nobody just kills it every week college football is a long season happened not a good day gambling so lose a few too many games yesterday and then of course the mountaineers man what was that what
1: so you you want that? your scott frost pity party episode here you want me to give you the floor and I just don't know. I, I just, And have you unleash your inner Scott Frost and just complain about everything.
0: I don't know whether I should be angry, whether I should be sad, whether I should be defiant like I will rise from this. Like I, I don't I don't know. But thankfully there's nothing else going on in our country right now that's gonna be, you know, anxiety inducing, depressing. Yeah, just it's it's everything besides from my personal stuff is great.
1: Hey, let's talk about Scott Frost in Nebraska, though. Well, not necessarily Scott Frost, but I'm sure that if Ryan Day hadn't said he was going to apologize, Scott Frost probably would have complained about it. I wasn't watching the tail end of that Ohio State-Nebraska game. I watched a pretty good amount of the first half because I was almost, like, mystified by what I was seeing from a competent Nebraska team for the first time in a long time. And they did look pretty good. This wasn't just, like, luck plays or Ohio State looked that bad. They looked like a real team there for a good chance in the first half, and you— Texted me at the very end of that game, telling me that Nebraska, or excuse me, that Ohio State scored a fuck you touchdown against Nebraska, and I'm here for all of that. I me mean, I mean, throw down that late dunk. I want you to bat flip to the fucking moon sure, when you're sure, up 15 sure, sure. in the ninth. Score that tutty.
0: But in you know the who wasn't seconds. here
1: for it? Ryan Day wasn't here. For Ryan it. Day he was wasn't pissed. here for it. See, I'm, I get like not stealing a base in the ninth or not like pressing a full court press when you're up 30 or throwing it deep when you're up big like I get all of that and if you even if you do it I'm not really gonna care but I understand why teams don't do it because if if just stop it from happening if you care that's just my rule with all this but I at least understand some level of sportsmanship but what what happened on Saturday with Ohio State in the final second scoring that touchdown we learned after that game that you were wrong it wasn't a fuck you score Ryan Day if Urban Meyer is running that team it's probably a fuck you score but Ryan Day apologized for running the play he uh that scored and then i think it made it 52-17 the final Ryan Day said they didn't have the personnel in to kneel which which <laughs> you don't have the personnel to to kneel the ball that's just dumb in itself but Ryan Day said he's going to apologize to Scott Frost like
0: pers- he's he, personally he's going to personally call
1: him And apologize to him. That's why this is kind of weird, because I I sincerely, I'm fine with that sportsmanship. Ryan Day seems like a genuinely good guy. He seems like a decent human being who's not just an arrogant, hypocritical asshole like Urban Meyer was. But maybe it's just like you're apologizing to Nebraska, this program who whines about everything, who literally whined about playing you more than playing Indiana. I mean, is this really what needs to happen here? Or Ryan Day just wants it to look like this?
0: I don't know. I think that's a fair question. I think I'm more offended about the apology. We're like, hey man, do it or don't, but it's a football game. Like I've always thought personally it was way more offensive to take a knee on the two yard line and be like, yes. Aw, we could we didn't want to do that to you guys again. If you're the
1: opposing coach, wouldn't you be like, Wow, this is fucking pathetic? Look at them. They don't even want to score 52 points.
0: And I've seen a few of those in my day watching FCS games that like, Hey, we're up. I was watching a game a couple years ago. It was 84 to seven. And they had the ball on like the two yard line with 90 seconds left. And they, ju- they like needed out four times and actually turned the ball back over because they were so sportsmanship. They didn't want to score. And I was like, God, that's so much worse. That's well, it's so like, much it's worse like letting than the shot clock
1: run out instead of taking a shot, which I don't get that at all. Like you would rather have a stoppage of play and inbound the ball just so the other team can have, Hey buddy, go shoot it one more time. Huh? Like, isn't that a bigger slap in the face than just launching from 40 feet, letting it hit the rim and then let the clock run out in the next possession. I think why, so. why do teams do that?
0: I've, I, I've never understood it, but this is kind of like the rules of baseball, right? Like, logically, I'm not sure it makes any sense, but this is the way that it's supposed to work. This is what we've decided that the culture dictates. So that's what people do.
1: It's dumb. All right, I think we gave that enough time, but we both wanted to, to bring that up. We want to keep the conversation in the Big Ten because there's a lot of small picture and big picture stuff to discuss. And you had, I wanted to talk about a big picture thing and you had kind of questioned it, but I want to explain why I want to talk about it. Uh, we want to talk about Penn State here. We want to talk about the gaps in the conference and starting with that big picture thing, because this has just been on my mind since watching several of those Big Ten games yesterday, and I really, really want to talk about it because I want your opinion on this, just uh, specifically watching Indiana, Penn State, Iowa, Purdue, uh, Minnesota, Michigan, I started making this mental tally of which Big Ten programs are truly moving forward as a program. And you, the reason why you said you pushed back on it, because it's only been one week, and this topic isn't... a a thing that I'm reacting to after week one. This is definitely an off-season topic, but it still is on my mind here, which programs, in your opinion, are clearly heading forward, not remaining stagnant, not just treading water, not ones that, yeah, I guess maybe they're not like moving backward, but they're really moving forward as a program. And as I started tallying up these programs, I went to other Power 5 conferences, wondering if those conferences had a higher percentage of programs moving forward So I could just compare it because I wanted some sort of comparison to my list in the Big Ten. And then I finally went to G5 conferences. So that's what I want to get into for a little bit before we get into some other Week 8 Big Ten reactions. And this is what I have for the Big Ten. Programs that, in my opinion, are no doubt moving forward. In the West, I think it's only Minnesota and Wisconsin. In the East, Ohio State's kind of the weird one because you could argue that they're stagnant. But, and they can't really move as far forward as some other teams across FBS. But I still like the direction that program is heading under Ryan Day. So I still think they qualify for this. So that's three total. And I think Indiana and your boys in New Brunswick, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. So five total programs. Anyone that you would take off or add to that list of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Indiana and Rutgers that are in no doubt in your mind that they are moving forward as programs?
0: Um. All right. I don't. I don't think you're being consistent about your deployment of the rules here. Please. Because if your argument is that Penn State is kind of treading water, that they're they're in a pretty good place as a program. Lots of people would like to be top 10-ish, top 15-ish kind of programs. Uh, and consistently on that level. Lots of people would like to be that. If you're saying that you think they're kind of treading water where they're at right now and they're not moving forward, I don't know how you could say that Ohio State is moving forward because it feels like Ohio State is doing the same thing where they're at. They are probably one of the five best programs in college football right now. Lots of people would want to be them, but they haven't won a national championship in, what, six years? They've, they've had some really good teams – They're kind of at where they're at and until really the only place farther that they can go is to become Alabama or Clemson where they are consistently every year we won a national championship or we played for one.
1: And, and that's where I think they're going. That That's why I have that in there, because I think Ohio State is heading— I don't think they're going to create this dynasty that Alabama has done, but I think Ohio State is heading in the direction. And maybe there's a step below, because I think what Alabama has done with this dynasty, the one step below that is what Clemson is doing. I think there actually is one step below Clemson that Ohio State can get to. I think Ohio State is heading that direction. I think that we will see over the next five years— Ohio State will take a step forward. Like you said, that's why I put them in there, because they haven't won the national championship in the next six years. And I really like the the direction the program is heading to get to that point.
0: Okay, but still over the last five years, they've kind of been the same thing. They've been this like waiting in the wings. We're good, but we're not quite good enough.
1: So that's the team that you disagree with. You're good with Minnesota Indiana and your boys in Rutger, I think, Rutgers.
0: I think Minnesota, it's two after one week. I'm not going to say because they lost to Michigan and the way they lost to Michigan, mm-hmm. knowing what they were missing and all that. I'm not going to say based off one game, they're now going down. I think, generally speaking, Minnesota is moving in the right direction. I would say Indiana.
1: Indiana is not moving forward, you don't think?
0: I think they are moving forward.
1: Oh, no, yeah. I, I totally Oh, you agree. had them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I have um, Indiana and Rutgers, too, because... And then, Rutgers, obviously, Rutgers go Right, nuts. I mean... Even if Rutgers hadn't done what they did yesterday, I still think it's easy to say they're moving forward because of how bad they were under Chris Ash. So there's there's a lot of different levels here. We're not going to discuss every single FBS team moving forward because that's more than a one segment of one episode. We kind of already did that to an extent on our Summer Neighborhood series, and maybe we'll revisit that and ask that this offseason. But looking across college football, the point being is that I, I don't think we realize how few programs are undoubtedly moving forward. If you look across the country, is there another conference With a higher percentage of teams moving forward, I think the only two with an argument are the ACC and the SEC. When going through this, I have six teams from each conference. In the ACC, the same thing applies for Clemson as it does Ohio State. I think there's another level that Clemson can get to. I think they're moving forward, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Miami, and North Carolina. In the SEC, I think it's Alabama. That's the one that I would listen to an argument for about what you just said. I still think that Alabama is moving forward as a program. Oddly, because the last couple of years, they haven't really been like the Alabama that we saw. And I still think that Nick Saban has a good four or five years in him. And they can essentially get back to where they were. So that's my logic with them. Alabama, Arkansas, a Ole Miss in the West, in the East, Florida, Kentucky. I don't think any of the G5 conferences have that strong of an argument. I mean, what is six of 14 teams is forty to 43% of their teams moving forward. I don't think any G5 conference has that argument. Do you think that the ACC and SEC teams have a higher percentage of teams moving forward? Or would you even look to the Big 12, the Pac-12, or a G5 conference that could have more teams moving forward than the Big 10 currently?
0: Uh, I definitely don't think the Big 12, just because it feels like the Big 12 is constantly in chaos with itself, uh, I
1: think the Big 12 only has two or three teams yeah, arguably it, moving forward. It
0: feels like that middle, that huge middle of the Big 12 is constantly like up and down and up and down and up and down. Right. Uh, the Pac-12, probably not. No. I think the ACC, I think there are even some teams that you left out of your list that I could make the argument are generally in the macro sets moving in the right direction. I would argue UVA over the last five years has been moving in the right direction. You didn't have them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with Virginia Tech.
1: I think because you don't know what to do with it, you can't just say they're moving forward, especially after yesterday. I don't, I know we don't want to react that much to like a one game situation. I don't know where I would have put Virginia tech before this season, but yeah, exactly. If you don't know what to do with them, they're not moving forward then undoubtedly,
0: but I would definitely put UVA on that list since Mendenhall came over from Provo. I mean, that's sure. uh, Yeah. I think the ACC has a lot and, and some of this I think is a backhanded compliment because to be moving in the right direction, you had to previously be in a place where you were not necessarily having a ton of success. Exactly. And I think if you exactly. look at the ACC the last one to maybe 2 years, I mean especially last year we really pounded the idea that hey, the ACC is really not good at all and Clemson's taking up all the oxygen in the room. So, even though yes, I think you, I think the ACC is maybe the conference you make you can make the best argument for here. I also wonder how much that matters because until somebody is on Clemson's level or Clemson stops being Clemson, I, does it does it really matter in the big picture?
1: Those are two really good points. Going back to the first one that you made of how much it's changed over the last even two years, looking at, so I think Clemson's moving forward, like I said, if you want to debate that, that's fine. But Florida State, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Miami, and North Carolina, take all, what is that, five of those programs, and then going back to Virginia pre-Mendenhall, I know that's going back a little bit farther, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Miami, and North Carolina, two years ago, I don't think we would have said any of those programs are moving forward. Hmm. And there weren't, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's hard to think back to what we would have decided two years ago, but if you take those five programs out, I don't know that you replaced them with that many other programs. And it might've only been one, two, or three ACC of 14 teams that were moving forward to your second point. This kind of goes into what, when, when I was, we were both watching the the Clemson Syracuse game, the second half, and I had texted you imagine something like imagine the playoff scenarios if Clemson were to lose this game and you responded, I don't think it would change anything. And initially I thought you were wrong, but as I thought about it, I think you are right there because even if like Clemson would have somehow lost that game, I still would have thought, they're a better team than Miami or Notre Dame or whomever else Oklahoma you want to pull State
0: of- or, yeah. Like- no,
1: in, in terms of the actual ACC, because okay. I think that the one-loss ACC champion would still be in. That, that's my reasoning with that. So I think yeah. you were right on that. Yeah, so, that,
0: that was exactly my thought.
1: Is- so even if Clemson would have lost, I don't think it would have changed that much. You were right on that, and also a good point on this. Even if, like, Florida State, Louisville, Miami, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, they need to take— several huge steps forward just to even get within like sniffing distance of Clemson. Whereas in these other conferences, I don't know. There's a big gap between Ohio state and Wisconsin. And then after Wisconsin, I think there's another pretty big gap to Penn state and Michigan, but I don't think the gap is as big as what it is in the ACC. Whereas I could see like if Michigan or Penn state or Wisconsin puts together a couple of really nice years moving forward, they could get within sniffing distance of Ohio state. And we've seen those teams compete with them. I don't want to say on a consistent basis, but in the ACC, I mean, like, how many steps forward does a North Carolina or a Florida State or a Georgia Tech have to take to get even within distance of Clemson?
0: I think it's really telling that a lot of a lot of people yesterday were just after the game was over were describing the Clemson Syracuse game as close. That game ended forty seven twenty one, and Dabo yes, was
1: pissed about the questions.
0: They, who Dabo? Yeah, did you see that? He was no, very defensive. Why are
1: we why are we talking about this not being this not being a great game we won by 26 points?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm totally on his side. Yes, there was a moment and I texted you like, "Hey, this is getting interesting." It was 27-21. It reminded me a lot. There was a game about 9 years ago, West Virginia played LSU, and it was during the Geno Smith days, and West Virginia looked terrible but was somehow still in the game and it was 27-21, the exact same score. And it like the stadium felt like it was about to explode and that West Virginia, oh my God, are they really going to beat LSU during that 2011 season where they won the national championship? And then Tyron Matthew, I think it was runs a kickoff back and it becomes a route in about 10 seconds. And that is exactly what that Syracuse game felt like yesterday. It was close and then it wasn't. And it happened really fast. And it was almost like you you just screenshotted the game score at the wrong moment and tricked yourself into thinking that that game was close. Because it was not close. It was close and then it wasn't.
1: That's actually a perfect segue. And I, I do want to get more into this, which programs moving forward in the offseason. So we're going to kind of table that. But I wanted to get your opinion um, just generally across the Power 5 and the entire FBS if you wanted to. So let's table that for the offseason. But that was a good segue I mean, specifically talking about Penn State, Indiana, because I, I watched, I don't know, 80 to 90% of that game. And like props to Indiana. That's a really nice win for your program. And I do think that they are moving forward and they can consistently be a seven to a nine win team in the East, which is a pretty good spot to live in. But Indiana did not look good. Penn State did not look that bad. Like they didn't look. If you were to show me that score after the game, I would say, God, Penn State, like, really? Like, you you went and dropped that kind of a game. But then you look at the turnovers. Indiana looked incredibly sloppy. They couldn't move the football at all. I mean, late in the fourth quarter, Indiana had, like, 120 or 130 total yards against a defense that is missing, in my opinion, the best player, the best defensive player in the country, Micah Parsons. So, it, it seemed like throughout that game, this is a question you asked me right before we hopped on here. How do we talk about that game? Because... Penn State largely dominated that game. I don't know if that was a two-point conversion at the end. I don't think anybody does. I don't think we'll ever know it without a goal. Hold on for this for a second. This is 2020. Why in God's name do we not have a camera down the first down down the first down marker and down the goal line? How hard can that be? And is this just a conscious decision by the conferences and NCA to not do this because this could not be that hard to have a camera right there.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a great it's a great observation by you.
1: I don't I don't get it at all. But anyways, going back to Indiana Penn State, how do we talk about this game? Because yes, Indiana won, but they did not look good. Penn State did not look that bad, but yet this game is probably good. I don't think Penn State was going to the playoff regardless if they won or lost this game by any amount. But now with this loss, it's almost impossible for Penn State to get into the playoff as a one or two, probably a two-loss non-divisional champion. That's just not going to happen. But to your point before we hopped on here, how do we talk about this? Because I mean, we're talking about centimeters away from winning this game and not having that blemish on your resume. How do we even talk about what happened to Penn State on Saturday?
0: I actually think you have to start with this. I think there's a clear loser in this game. I think it's Ohio State. So, if Penn State wins this game, and especially if they win it in a more convincing fashion, but even if they just win, even if they rule that the football is millimeters, the nose doesn't quite touch the pylon, and that's the game Penn State wins, you have a, all of a sudden, two weeks ago, Big Ten, not playing at all. Next week, massive top 10 game, Ohio State Penn State, I believe it's it's in State College.
1: Yeah, it's I? in State College. Right, yep. so
0: that's a marquee win that Ohio State can get for themselves on the road against a top-10 team, and now they can really make the case. Hey, I get that we didn't play the first month and a half of the season, but you guys know what you're getting with us. You watched it last year. You're watching it this year. Just got a top-10 road win, arguably the best win that anybody would have in college football to this point. Uh, we could talk about Alabama, Georgia. I, I mean, I think that's that's up there. But at Penn State, I think you could make the case that's a more impressive win. Now, instead, what it's going to look like on paper is Ohio State beat a team that is now 0-2. And that's assuming that Ohio State wins. And I just think this, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about psychology this season, much more than I think I ever anticipated to. I think the psychology of that is just different for people who are weighing that win. It's just different. And it's not to say they're not going to get credit for it, but now Penn State's going to be outside of the top 10 probably. I I mean, they're, they're going to be 0-1. So I, I think anything is on the table in terms of where they're going to get placed. Uh, I think because they lost to Indiana, I'm high on Indiana. I think you're high on Indiana. I don't know that the average AP poll voter is really out there stumping for Indiana. So I think some people might see this as a tough loss, even though you can make the case that they shouldn't have lost. It's, it's just, it fragments in a lot of interesting ways. And I think the big loser here is more so Ohio state than Penn state, because as you've said, Penn state probably wasn't going to the playoffs. Like the, the bounces they would need for that to happen pretty unlikely this is not a season even more so than usual that is going to be kind to usurpers of power it is going to be extra friendly to the programs we already know are really good and Penn State wasn't quite on that level so it feels to me like the big loser here is Ohio State Penn State is going to go on they're going to have whatever season they have and they can finish I don't know five and three or however many games they're playing six and two whatever Uh, They're going to be fine. They're going to have a decent season. But it feels to me like Ohio State is missing out on this big opportunity to have this big splashy moment and really refocus the center of college football on Columbus. I don't know that they're going to be able to do that as effectively now.
1: I get where you're coming from, but I think that your argument is not very strong. It would have been strong if we had some different results across the country. But what we've seen, that second-level parity in the ACC and SEC, what we've seen in the Big 12, I think that is just kind of given Ohio State a path to the playoff no matter how weak the rest of the Big Ten is. Ohio State is still going to go to the playoff, in my opinion, as an undefeated or a one-loss champion because they will still have wins in some variety. I think Wisconsin's going to the Big Ten title game, so they would have a win over Wisconsin, and then they would have beaten either Michigan or Penn State. And then a, a couple of nice wins on there, Indiana and whoever else. So I think Ohio State is fine in the playoff picture. I think Ohio State will make it as an undefeated or a one-loss team. I don't want to say comfortably, but I'm 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 very confident in thinking that they would make it over the non-ACC champion, a two-loss non-SEC champion, a a one or two-loss Pac-12 champion, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, whoever you want from the Big 12. So I don't think it matters In that fact, kind of like what you said, if Clemson were to drop that game, you don't think it opens up really any other scenarios because Clemson is still the best team in the ACC. Sure. Ohio State is still the best team in the Big Ten, no matter if Indiana wins that game or Penn State wins that game on Saturday. Going back to a point, what do you got?
0: Well, just I feel like I left out a key detail, and you're right in saying all of that, which is I feel like the discussion now with Ohio State and Clemson to some degree, it's less about getting into the playoff. Because they have, I th- we think, a pretty sizable margin of- for error. So it's less about, hey, how do we get there for them, and more about who gets that number one seed. And I think that is more the argument where I was making, where Ohio State could have really took charge and made a good case for that number one seed, where you have the way easier semifinal game, and now Clemson's got to play probably some team from the SEC, and one of them is going to get knocked out. Now, Ohio State, I think maybe loses some leverage that they might have otherwise had on that path to the number one seed. That's a there, super important point. I think is I
1: there any that. doubt in your mind that Ohio state is the, we we know they're the best team in the big time. We know they're the best team in the East. I think the gap between them and everybody else in the East is huge. And I, I don't know if week one for them like reinforced that at all, but do you agree that the gap is so big there? That's a piece of their margin for error and you don't even see them dropping one of these games. So these scenarios are irrelevant, essentially.
0: It kind of feels that way. It feels like yeah. they're way better. Uh, yeah. the, the way they just... I mean, I, th- I thought the, the start at, with Nebraska, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, you know, this is a little closer in the first half than I thought it would be. And it just feels like they had so many more levels to get to once they started shaking off the, the extra-long offseason layover. It just feels like they burn way hotter than everybody else in that conference.
1: Going back to this Penn State-Indiana game, you asked me this question beforehand, and I want you to ask it again. Basically, how do we talk about this win, and how much is a win worth? Because you've said several times on the show when I've argued against, like I've said Oklahoma, I still think is the best team in the Big 12 after the Iowa State game, and you said, well, yes, but at some point, the, the wins and losses in the standings have to count for something. Ask me that question that you asked me before uh, the show about Indiana and Penn State and how we're talking about it because I can't remember how you phrased it. Well,
0: I think one of – I asked it a couple different ways, and I think one of them was I was looking for historical precedent on how to talk about this game because you're going to have people, and of course people in Penn State's corner, but I think also just other people in general, maybe pro Big Ten people, maybe sympathizers for people who just think that's a tough way to lose a game. You're going to have people that talk about Penn State now as if they won this game, as Mm. if there was some alternate reality where they called the ball short and it didn't touch the pylon and Indiana loses. So you're going to have people on ESPN that are like, well, you know, Penn State, plus they have that loss to Indiana, but you know, you can kind of count that as a win. And there's, that's an interesting place for us to be, I think, where I, I couldn't think of a historical precedent off the top of my head. Uh, I'm guessing there probably is one, but it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting spot for us to be able to talk about them like this.
1: And I think that kind of leads into a a discussion about James Franklin, because there are two pieces to that. If, if James Franklin and they had, if he had either just, you know, call the knee or made sure the team was on the same page that, Hey, if you get the first down, we're not scoring. The game is over. I don't know like who's to blame for that. Ultimately, I think he deserves a lot of the blame because he is the head coach and needs to make sure that his team is on. I mean, he's not calling plays on offense. Like he has, he can be aware of stuff like that. I give a little bit more leeway to head coaches that are calling plays because I cannot imagine calling a play and coaching a game and worrying about time management injuries and all that kind of shit. He's not even calling plays on the sideline, So he should know the scenario there and he should pump it into his players' heads well, immediately before that play. Take a timeout, do whatever you have to do to make sure that that is what you're supposed to be doing. So that's the first piece of are it. Are we if sure had- he
0: didn't do that? Because if you go and watch that play where, where Penn state goes up 28 to, to 20, as soon as the receiver crosses the goal line, you can see stops, him trying to yeah. stop his momentum, and on his face, he's like, oh.
1: Well, and, and James Franklin said they had talked about it. He wasn't specific in that, though. So okay. is this is this purely on the player, and I'm totally blanking on his name, or does James Franklin deserve that criticism, which kind of leads into the last play of the game, where if, if you would just stop short of the goal line, this game is over, he's and Devin for all Ford. intents and purposes... Penn State wins this game. And like you said, looking back at historical precedent, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. The one that we had discussed before the show was Michigan's blocked punt uh, in 2015, 15 16, I think. Yeah. 2015, yeah, October of 2015 against Michigan State. And that even though I think there are comparisons there, I don't think this Penn State team was going to the playoff no matter what happened in this game. I don't think they are winning the East Division no matter what happened. They weren't going to beat Ohio State no matter what happened. So I think there is comparisons there with that 2015 Michigan team. They were both good teams. Michigan's chances at the playoff were, were not great that year, but it still is one play where it's like, hey, maybe just tell your guys to hold for as many plays as it takes to get the clock to run on to zero, and that's how this should be played. No doubt about it. Do you call however, the
0: Sean McDonough puberty game? Puberty game?
1: Yeah, where his call at the end, <laughs> Was that the game? I think so. I thought so I get these mixed up because that was he the one calling the Georgia Tech Florida State block punt back in 2017 or 2016 or whatever that, that was. One, I'm his not voice, remember. Yeah. there was his voice cracked in one of these games. I feel like it happens. I'm it
0: almost positive it was the block punt the Michigan
1: Now I need to go back and watch punt. it. But yeah. but anyways, the the point being is that how do we talk about this? In that there were two specific instances in that Penn State, and it's it's kind of dumb. I mean it's it's like saying well if the the kick doesn't hit the upright and it goes in or if we don't fumble this ball going back to that Florida A&M game that game is won in whatever case ultimately whatever happens on the field as we saw contributes to the winner loss in the standing so that the, the winner the loss does mean something so it's kind of dumb to say well if this didn't happen they would have won the game right because it did but, exactly it did happen, <laughs> it did if, happen. The, if the refs would have called okay. him short on the two-point conversion it would have stayed as short but that this is, one feels extra Exactly. Well, we, what about? And we don't know how to how to talk about this because there were two very specific instances where Penn State could have won that game literally a matter of centimeters in one case and them not being on the same page in the other case. So how do we talk about this? Do we just say, no, Penn State lost that game. It's not going to be as great uh, of a, a notch on Ohio State's resume. It's going to put Penn State in an almost impossible position for the playoff. It's a nice win for Indiana moving forward, but Indiana did not look good. I mean, what is the final conclusion of this, or is it just a – I tweeted this where I think somebody was talking about whether or not he was in or not. We don't know if he was in. If there was a chip in the football – Yeah, somebody said clearly short, (laughs) and you were like,
0: (laughs) was it clearly anything?
1: Well, yeah, because I I originally watched it, and I'm like, oh, the nose of the football is down. And then I watched it three more – down out of bounds, and I watched it three more times – It's like, well, I don't know. Maybe the other side of the nose is across the line. The bottom line is we don't know if you think, you know, you are lying to yourself or you are biased here. Is it does that just make us uncomfortable because we don't understand how to evaluate that kind of like we don't. I talked about this coming into the season. I think it makes us really uncomfortable not knowing how to evaluate something like the World Series. We were just talking about this before we hopped on. I don't think this is a real world series, yet it's going to be. Remember in the history books and put everywhere else as if it was a World Series. I don't think this is. And I think that makes people uncomfortable. Does it make us uncomfortable not to know what the real call was in the Indiana Penn State game?
0: Why do you hate baseball?
1: I hate bunting.
0: You hate baseball and you hate Rutgers football.
1: I hate a lot more teams. Hate's a strong word. I dislike a lot more teams. I don't even dislike Rutgers.
0: You temporarily blocked my phone number yesterday when I wouldn't stop talking about Rutgers.
1: I get that that game turned out to be entertaining, (laughs) but at no point going into that game should anybody outside of those fan bases said, "Yup, I'm going to sit down and watch this Michigan State Rutgers game." Go Knights! I just, I don't want to see Nebraska relevant. I don't want to see Texas relevant. That's what it comes down to.
0: When Rutgers beats Ohio State, do you think they'll get the playoff love they deserve?
1: Serious question. What's the ceiling for Greg Shiano and Rutgers?
0: Uh, bowl eligible. This year? No, I just mean in general. Like, you know.
1: Mm. Mm. Like s- seven and five. A hey, Rutgers was in ago. the
0: top 10 like 14 years ago. They were. I'm pretty sure Greg Shiano was the coach.
1: Two thousand seven, two thousand and eight, back to or no. I think it was six seven. Six seven. Yeah. And it, I mean it was just crazy. The AP top top fifteen, top twenty from people forget to, the
0: big east actually was halfway decent. It wasn't were, as bad as people remember it.
1: I think you're you're not being generous enough. They were good. Yeah, I mean, that was a good fun conference. That was like what big east basketball used to be. And I know we kind of got more into big east basketball with the depth the last couple of years, but yeah, I mean that's it was a good fun conference strong conference that was very nationally relevant i mean and then yukon played
0: even... oklahoma in the fiesta bowl <laughs> in 2011 and it all went downhill yeah.
1: anything else for us here sir
0: i don't think so uh respect respect the knights go are Rutgers. you gonna
1: so are you will you go for an afternoon drive then today or or maybe maybe later i
0: might steal a car and drive up to new jersey and just pay my respects
1: that's great yeah Please come back on Thursday, though. Thursday morning episode drops at 6 a.m. Central, so click that subscriber auto-download button to get that downloaded automatically heading into Week 9, and then we'll be back here in one week with Week 9 reactions, storylines, heading into the Pac-12's return. Uh, Is there any room for the Pac-12 in the national discussion? Reacting to, uh, well, we'll be be previewing some of those games and then reacting to them a week later. Probably a ton more. Thank you for checking out the High Motor Podcast. Respect Rutgers. I saw a friend today, it had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter, cause deep inside. The feelings still remain the same. We talked of knowing one before you've met, and how you feel more than you see, and other worlds that lie in spaces. In